You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. <laughs> Let's read. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and, ba- and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stones and far for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people is speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Let me pray before I begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you meet with us and you speak with us, that you give us your word, that you've given us your spirit, And that because of your desire to communicate with us, we can hear you, we can know you, we can be part of your family. And so we pray that you would enable us to hear right now, that you would enable us to be able to respond to you as you speak to us, and that we might find a better hope. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you today about hope, but I want to particularly focus on the area where our hopes are so often focused in our culture, which is technology. A few weeks ago, I was, uh, I was thinking about the fact that I wasn't sleeping very well, and I realized I hadn't changed my pillows for a while. Now, I don't know if you know this, but your pillows these days have a date stamp on them, that tell you when you're actually meant to, and I won't tell you what the date was on my pillows, but uh, in three minutes, I ordered a new set of pillows. Two days later, those pillows arrived, and that evening, sweet joy broke upon my head. It's a wonderful thing to live in a world where pillows are part of our life, and we can just grab them at the first moment. Five years ago, I was heading to a conference in London when I happened upon the wonderful fact that at the very time I was going to be there, my favourite band in the world, U2, was going to be playing Twickenham. Within minutes of finding out this fact, I had bought tickets while sitting on my couch in Sydney And uh, this is where I ended up standing. 
It's a wonderful time to be alive. I carry within my pocket a device that can be used as a calendar. It can be used as a TV. It can be used as a radio station and it can be used as a street directory. A number of years ago, I was driving from Ontario to Maine across borders and all I did was have this device in my car with somewhat more of a direction than what you see on that screen and it got me there within 20 minutes of the originally estimated time. Apparently, this thing can also be used as a phone, which is amazing. Uh, My dad, my dad is alive today because some incredible people over many decades invented treatments for prostate cancer. He's now a fit and fighting 80-year-old because we invented stuff. I'm a historian by training, and uh, sometimes I'm tempted to ask my class, if you went back in time to any period in the world, uh, what do you think would feel the most different if you went back very far? Now, there's no right answer, because the world is very different no matter how far you go. Like, it just, it is. Like, the past is a strange country. They live different there, okay? You just need to know that. Here's my suggestion for what would be the most different and what you would feel the most as soon as you walked into that world. The smell. You would notice by your nose almost straight away because if you went back in time to any place resembling a city in the past, say more than 100, 150 years ago, you would realise the blessings of modern sewerage. Okay, I can't tell you the amount of joy that I have felt in my life when I have discovered a flushing toilet as a result of being in a culture that didn't necessarily have such access to things. I still remember being in Nairobi at the turn of the millennium where we would meet one another when we were in Nairobi at the Hilton because it was the only place in the city that I could guarantee I was going to get a well-serviced toilet. I came back from that trip thanking God for all sorts of things but including modern sewerage. This is the kind of excitement I have in my life. If I just stay on the time travel theme for a moment, 2018, uh, Annabelle Crabb uh, began doing this show, I don't know if you ever saw it, called Back in Time for Dinner. Uh, Back in Time for Dinner was where she took a, a family, a modern family, and basically got them to live according to the logic and the structures and the technologies of a past decade. And so basically the man, uh, the husband, the wife and the kids basically have to live as if they're in the 60s, the 50s, the 40s, the 30s, the 20s and so on and so forth. And they had to do it completely as it was happening in that time for, I don't know, some period of time that they could get sufficient film to make a beautiful documentary. And what was fascinating was when they went back to something like the 20s, 30s, 40s, even 50s, how exhausted the mum was because she had to wash clothes without a machine and she didn't get to go to work and she had to cook from scratch and her entire day was defined by the domestic duties in a way that was overwhelmingly oppressive. It's a wonderful time to be alive when we're no longer having to do some of those things. 
The journalist Paul Sheehan uh, wrote these words a, a number of years ago, but he said, you are a member of the wealthiest community that has ever existed in this country. Your household has a high likelihood of being wealthier than the Sun King or any of the other kings of France or any monarch until the early 19th century, because although you may have far less property, you have much better health, vastly better hygiene, incomparably better transport and communications, and even better food. You have greater individual freedom, greater privacy. Your world is so much larger, safer, and enlightened. You have a richer array of entertainments. You will live longer, and you are at no risk of having your head removed. It's a wonderful time to be alive. Or is it? Because at the heart of our culture is a story of how we live in an age of hope through technological progress. Every day, in every way, things are getting better and better. Our medicines are better. Our TVs are better. Our phones are smarter. So how come life still feels so inadequate? In the 19th century, there was this thinker, a guy called Alexis de Tocqueville, who made a, uh, wrote a brilliant book called Democracy in America. He was a Frenchman, but he went to the States to kind of check out this fledgling country. And he described America like this. He said, melancholy in the midst of abundance. Melancholy in the midst of abundance. Sadness when you are surrounded by plenty. You have every conceivable toy the best prescription meds, entertainment on demand now, and yet we find we still don't have life. And there's this sense in which the story of hope in technological progress is true. There's a a sense in which it's true that everything is now faster, smaller, and smarter. But for all that, I'm not feeling any better. I'm saving so much time for what? Netflix? More weather apps? The the French philosopher Blaise Pascal put it like this, if our condition were truly happy, we would not need diversion from thinking of it in order to make ourselves happy. Why are all our new shiny things so good yet so insufficient? Let me suggest two reasons. There's probably a thousand, but let me suggest two. First, technology is a means, not an end. Uh, Technology is a tool that can help my life, but it can't give me a life. That's why it fails as hope. Let me talk to you a moment about me and my toolbox at home. Um, I am profoundly incompetent at most practical tasks. I mean, anything beyond changing a light globe falls into the category of rocket science to me. So, like, you know when people say to you things like, oh, it's just building a retaining wall, mate. It's not rocket science. I go, I'm just going to stop you there. (laughs) That actually is rocket science to me. Um, some people go to Bunnings and they're like, tools of the world, come to me. And I go to Bunnings and I'm terrified. Which means you can hand me a tool in the middle of Bunnings 
And if I don't know what it's for or how to use it well, which is most of the stuff there, I just stand there frozen going, mate, where am I? What is going on? The only thing more terrifying to me was when I once got lost in a spotlight store because that is, I never realized how much haberdashery is in the world. You can have the shiniest toolbox in the world, but if you don't know what you're making and you don't know how to make it, then you've got a shiny box full of tools, but you don't have a worthwhile project. Technology can help you organize your calendar, but it can't give you a purpose. Technology can help you connect, but it can't make a relationship. Technology can help your life, but that assumes you already have one. And we've all had the experience where we meet up with people, and all we do is talk about our new toy. Because we have no life. All we have is toys. And it's just not satisfying. And it's just not a hope worth living for. Because technology is a means, not an end. And the value of a tool depends entirely on what end you have in mind. It's great that I can message more people. Do I actually want that? Why would I want to message more people? I need to know. It's great that I can now be in two places at once. Do I really want that? Most of the time, no. But apparently because I can... I do. Technology works best when you already know what the good life is. But it works terribly when it becomes your life and when it becomes your hope. Which leads me to the second point. For all that technology can help, sometimes it hinders. Now, Tim Challies in his book, The Next Story, He points out the fact that the stuff we make advertises its benefits, but it hides its risks. So the hard thing to see with the trust we place and the hope we place within technology is not just that we can see what we're gaining, but that we can't see what we're losing. Uh, The writer Andy Crouch, Uh, He says this, he says, whenever you see some new thing, just ask yourself, what does this thing make possible? And then also ask, what does this thing make impossible or now very, very difficult to do? Because long decades of experience have taught us what the theorist Marshall McLuhan said, which is, we shape our tools and then our tools shape us. We have the very best of intentions with our hopes in what we make. We want to make something that will help us master life a little bit more. We, we, we then find that we've been mastered by the things we make. So the smartphone is like this phenomenal tool for connection. I can message friends. I can swipe right for a date. I can keep up with my friends in Croatia who I met once. So much connecting power. But that very same technology for connection 
means we now live in this age where we are connected, but alone. So Sherry Turkle wrote this book about a decade ago called Alone Together, which is this whole idea that what we do is when we gather together, we all sit in a room on our devices. Now, you have this phenomenon now in the modern world where you can be in the same space, but nobody's there. You know what it's like when you go to the coffee shop and people just can't stop checking their phone and you go, I'm here, love me. It's like we've created this ability to connect and yet ignore the person in front of us. We make something to help us master life and then we find ourselves being mastered by the very thing we put our hope in. What about another phenomenon? Have you ever been to a concert where people watch the whole thing on their phone? Because now you carry a technology where you can capture the moment and record it for later. But you then actually don't experience the concert. Because bizarrely, you're never there. You're just thinking about how awesome it's going to be that you can play it back on your Mac later on. Which reminds me of something the psychologist Rollo May once said, which he said, technology is the knack for so arranging the world that we do not experience it. How did we end up at a place where we've put so much hope in our stuff and our devices And we think we can shape the world, but actually they're what's shaping our world. This is not, by the way, a new thing for human beings. We've been doing this from very early on. We have always had this capability of creating amazing things and believing in progress and the hope of what we make and then letting those things deform our lives. There's an ancient story, we had it read for us, from the Bible. The Tower of Babel, even within popular culture, this would be known, this story. And if we've known about this story, we've known about it in terms of the confusion of languages that happens at the end. It's a crucial part of the story, it's a crucial part of the storyline of the whole Bible, that God confuses the languages of the world in order to prevent human beings from committing greater evil. And even today, you you still have a website called Babelfish where you can get sayings translated from any language in the world into your own language. Apparently, I went there the other day, the most important, or sorry, the most popular question is, how do you say, this is kind of ranks them, it says, how do you say, will you marry me in Portuguese? So if you're Portuguese, you have been warned. Okay, because something's coming. When we hear this ancient story, we think confused languages, and that is how the story ends. But I want to focus on something a a little bit earlier in the story. Babel, Babel is a city, if you read in the earlier portions of the story, that's based on funky technology in ancient terms. Their capacity to build, their capacity to bake the the best bricks and to have amazing dreams for your architecture. They want to build a tower big enough to reach to the heavens, and they think if they land this project, then they'll make a name for themselves. They're trying to find their identity and security 
in the stuff they make. They're trying to find their identity and security in the stuff they make. Sound familiar? Sitting underneath this story, though, is another fact, which is that the way they've built the city is designed to frame God out of the picture. It's all about them. We can achieve this for ourselves on our own. We can reach the heavens on our own. We can make a name for ourselves. Indeed, there's a real sense in which they've tried to replace God with the stuff they make. There's nothing wrong with bricks, per se. Nothing wrong with cities, nothing wrong with towers. But once you start treating your stuff like you can find your identity in it, you've taken the wrong turn. We can't find the life we're looking for in the stuff we make. We can own the biggest boat, we can invent the best toys, we can create a catalogue worth drooling over, and you will have some cool stuff, but you won't have a life. Because there's just some things technology can't give you. There's just things that our hope in whatever we make can't give to us. In 2014, Spike Johns made a, 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 a film called Her. You may have seen it with Joaquin Phoenix. The story takes place some way into the future, a point at which smartphones are sufficiently artificially intelligent that you can create a persona tailored to the individual needs of the user. Uh, in simple terms, the Siri of our day has evolved to a point where they can be a full-orbed companion capable of being your confidant and even perhaps your girlfriend. So Siri is voiced, or the equivalent thereof is voiced by Scarlett Johansson. Spoiler alert, you've had enough time to watch the film. Ultimately, it doesn't work out. Even when a computer maps itself to exactly what we think we need, it isn't what we need. Siri makes a great assistant, but she makes a terrible friend. Because when you take a good thing, and you turn it into an ultimate thing, you end up with nothing. When you take a good thing and you turn it into an ultimate thing, you end up with nothing. There's a better story to tell about where we can place our hope. There's a better story to tell about the things we make and the one who made us. And it starts by putting things in their place. The answer isn't in being a Luddite, by the way, if that's what you're hearing from me. I'm not advocating some form of primitivism where we all go back to nature and we all just trash our TVs and running water and electricity, even though we've had a crack at that recently, haven't we, you know? So. Technology helps you with your life when you already know what real life is. Technological progress, our hope in what we can achieve cannot answer the big questions of life because the big questions of life are who am I and what am I here for? And our inventions cannot tell us who we are and our stuff cannot tell us what our life is for. 
There's a better story about who you are. I want to read to you a passage from the New Testament where Jesus speaks. He says in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Weary, burdened, rest. They're words that resonate today. If anything captures me right now, living in my technologically hope-filled world, it is I'm restless. I'm so restless. And if I'm honest, it's all of the brilliant progress sometimes that's part of the problem. All that time saved, and yet I'm busier and I'm tireder. All those connections to like 500 plus friends And yet I feel more like a failure as a friend. And I never, never rest. Like the word for our age is I'm exhausted. It's what everybody says to me now. How are you? Oh, man, I'm exhausted. And I used to blame my exhaustion on being busy. And then we locked down. I didn't leave my house and I got more exhausted. How did that happen? Because the devices in which I'd trusted, the progress that we'd made to create this wonderful world, it doesn't give me life. And Jesus says there's a different way to live. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, the yoke that Jesus refers to here is like a a device that helped you carry a weight across your shoulders. And over time, the image of a yoke came to be a kind of a metaphor for being under the influence of someone. And the point of the image is this, that Jesus offers something radically different. That Jesus offers a life that doesn't leave you strung out and exhausted. It it takes you to rest. That there is a person who can take your burdens down and you don't have to be afraid you'll miss out. Like FOMO crushes you. And Jesus takes your burdens down and says you won't miss out. There's a person who can get the weight off and give you rest for your soul. And why does the story of Jesus offer hope and rest when everything else just makes us tired? Because it gets us to look up, to kneel down, and to receive. We look up Because you can't find yourself by looking within, and you can't find yourself looking at this. We can't find our identity and our name in the things that we've made. 
Our inventions are awesome. Our progress is incredible, but it can't carry the weight of our identity. We look up because the good news starts with the knowledge that you are made and loved by a creator. And the good news continues in that even when we fail, he is the one who can make all things new rather than me waiting for shiny new things. You're not an accident and you don't need to achieve your value or to purchase your identity in a catalogue. You don't need to find your life on the basis of the next big thing. You are loved by God. You are known by God. And when we look up, what we realise is that we've spent our life ignoring the God who made us. We are like the folks in Babel. We've managed to frame God out of the picture so often. We've framed him out through distraction. We've framed him out through busyness. Sometimes we've just framed him out by outright telling him to go away. And so the second part is kneeling down. It's not you can kneel down if you want to but physically, but it's a picture in my mind of the fact that Turning back to God involves admitting our failure. Honestly, coming to terms with the fact of, I live my life without you in it. And this is, this is the case even if you're a churchgoer. But the vast majority of churchgoers know where God is on Sunday, but he disappears on Monday. You don't know where he is. And so we try and live life without him. And kneeling down, turning around from our God denying ways, that, that might seem terrible, but it's actually liberating. It's that moment in the Christian story we call confession. And why? Why do we confess our failure? Why do we confess the fact that we've put our hope in something other than the one who can truly give life? Why do we confess? Because then, then you can receive. Because when you look up to God and when you kneel down in confession, you discover that Jesus hasn't come to condemn, but he's come to forgive and to give. And Jesus wants to give us life. He wants to give us rest. And sometimes he wants to take that stuff out of your hands in order that you can receive the life that is truly life. And it's a life that's given to us in spite of what we've done and in spite of how we've failed. Jesus comes to give the life that has the relationships that we truly crave and the relationship that we truly crave. Jesus comes to give the satisfaction that we've invested in something else, but actually we only can find in him. And that all of those longings that drive our story of progress, that all of those longings that drive our desire to invent this new thing and then every problem will be solved, that longing for comfort, that longing for connection, that longing for lasting joy, they're found in Jesus. The stuff we've made is an awesome help, but it's a terrible saviour. And we don't have to place our hopes on the next big thing. We don't have to place our hopes on the next invention. There's a better story. 
There's a better story that begins in creation and ends in new creation. And in light of that story, we can understand where to put the things of life, how we can use the things we've made without them using us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've placed us in a world and given us skills and talents where we can make stuff, where we can create things that could make life better. And yet we know that we can take the stuff we've made and make it our life, that we can take our achievements and invest our hopes into that, that we can take everything that we are capable of and forget the creator who gave us those capabilities. And we pray that we would not live in a self-destructive way and in a God-denying way, but that we would understand who we are and what we are for, and therefore how we are to use these incredible talents and abilities you give us. Help us to focus on you, the one who makes all things new, and that we would not be like those in the past and in the present who screen you out because of the stuff we've made, but rather we would see through everything that you have made within this world to ultimately honour and glorify you as the one in whom is the life that is truly life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.